Hi, I'm Richard Bond, and I am the producer and director of the Tupac Assassination movies. Over the last 12 years, I have learned a lot about Tupac, and I'd like to share with you what I know. Hey, everybody, it's R.J. Bond, and I'm here with J.M. Kazi. Greetings. Welcome, everybody. Hey, we're here to... Uh, you're always so low-key. Welcome, everybody. I'm, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And you're like, hey, everybody. Okay. Um, we are here as R.J. Bond, What I Know, the podcast that gets into the wacky world of Tupac Shakur and Biggie Smalls, their deaths, and everything that's kind of related to their lives and, and deaths as well. This week, we got some pretty cool stuff coming to you. Um, we have more never-before-heard information that flows from the recently released Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department files uh, in the investigation of Tupac Shakur. Now, it is not always said that everything that's in an investigation file means that there's something that happened. And in fact, uh, Kazi, you know, there's a lot of things that can be in a police file that have absolutely no evidentiary value whatsoever. Maybe a lead that called in that said Oprah did it. You know, they're required to put them in the uh, in the file just because they did come in and they were a lead, even though that lead is stupid and didn't go anywhere. Um, they are required to put that stuff in the file. So you can have a police file. And I think we, we released something not long ago, Kazi. I think we said the Vegas police file is 3,300 pages long. And of that, they may have released probably half of it. And they're trying to keep the other half close to the vest. And uh, it, but in these you know fifteen hundred pages of documents that that that's been that we've received copies of, um, you know a lot of it's going to be just dead weight. It's going to be newspaper articles. It's going to be interviews with you know for all intents and purposes morons who you know called in and wanted their moment and thought maybe they were going to get something out of it. So you know it, not everything in a police file is going to just be the Rosetta Stone of the investigation. Just like. The MGM footage, you know, some people look at it and see a fight with Orlando Anderson. Other people see Kevin Gaines. They see Reggie Sr. They see Greg Kading. They see, you know, name it. Everybody who was involved in the Tupac series all showed up at the MGM to beat up Orlando Anderson or to be there when he got beat up. Okay, it's a big get, get big old, it's the, it's the warm up to the big event, I guess. You know, they all wanted to, they all wanted to get themselves on camera being seen so that we all knew who they were before all that happened, right? Um, it would be to, a major undercard. Right. Yeah. <laughs> to the big event. So, all right. But like I said, the um, the stuff that's in a police file isn't always, uh, you know, going to be gold. I mean, there's silver in there. There's bronze in there. There's fool's gold in there, if you want to stick with that analogy. Uh, and then there's just dog shit in there, too. So, um, I wanted to... Uh, uh, let you guys know that because ultimately as we sift through this information we're bringing you the stuff that we actually think is relevant uh, i mean and not to say that we won't throw something at you if we don't think it's relevant because who knows maybe one of you might think hey you guys might understand this but maybe i do and you figure out something that we don't so it's always good uh the email address that i always give for correspondence is rjbond what i know at outlook.com feel free to also post on our live streams feel free to also post on comments on our videos uh, you know, Spotify, there's a whole lot of ways you can reach out to us. And if you figure something out, let us know. Today, we're going to talk about a, a legend, if you will, in the Tupac shooting story. And that legend involves an 
potential or possible altercation that happened right about the time of the shooting. Uh, but to understand this, what I want to do is have Kazi kind of walk you through for a minute. Kazi, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about, you know, kind of what the events of that evening were right after the Tyson fight, the Mike Tyson fight. All right, so we're going to retrace the steps. We're going to make it very simple. We're not going to get too detail-oriented, but essentially what happened was after the fight was done, they needed to kill some time, so they went to Suge's residence. That's, of course, in Las Vegas, Tupac, and the whole entourage. I mean, you could name everybody in that entourage, but that'd be a long list. So anyhow, they go there, they hang out, have a good time. Then I believe Suge gets stressed. And then at that point, then it's time to leave to Club 662. So they take a certain route to get there, which would be, I would say, the, the scenery route, potentially. But anyhow, they go down the route, and they're in this entourage, several cars. Of course, all of us, Shook's homeboy security, and then you have Frank Alexander, and you have the Outlaws and Tupac. So they're in the entourage. They're driving down, of course, Frank Alexander's driving Kadada's car with the outlaws on E, and I'm getting too de- detour-oriented here. But <laughs> yeah, you say, we're not going to go deep. That's okay. We yeah. can talk about Frank Alexander's gas tank later. Okay. Right, <laughs> right. I just kind of fixed myself. But they get they get down to the stoplight at uh, Cobalt and Flamingo. And one of the biggest mistakes and one of the things that Shug does mention that I think is, is, a, is a key factor here is that K-Dub and Trayvon Lane actually pull in front of Suge Knight and Tupac, kind of enclosing them from, you know, essentially if they needed to make a run for it, there wouldn't be a car in front of them. So Suge Knight actually said that these two gentlemen blocked the car. So that was a kind of a weird um, moment for him. So anyhow, car pulls up, arm comes out, the gunshots ring out, and then they essentially make a, a right turn but I'm going to let you talk about that more, too, because I think you spent more time dissecting that document than, than I did yesterday. But it was actually very interesting. And that's where the story gets a little divergent. Uh, right after the gunshots ring out and Tupac is shot, arguably Suge is either shot or he's got some glass problem or a fragment scratched his head or something or put his head through the windshield. I don't know what he did. But at any rate, there is there is a story that tends to diverge at that point uh, about what happened next. Now, common lore is that the white car made a right-hand turn on Flamingo and Cobalt, which would have made him burn south on Cobalt. Now, most people that know Cobalt understand that Cobalt Road in Las Vegas was really created uh, to be a backway access to the McCarran Airport, the Las Vegas Airport, and Koval itself runs right along the border of the airport boundary. So you can drive down Koval and actually see the planes through a chain link fence. It's it's actually that close to the airport property itself. Koval does end at that end, but if you go north on Koval, you could basically go forever up Koval. I think it finally terminates at one of the major casinos up that way. Uh, it might be Paris or the Venetian, what up that way, uh, that it eventually terminates and you've got to make a right or left. So Koval's not like Las Vegas Boulevard where you take it on one end and it just goes until you can't go any further in either direction. Uh, it does have a beginning and an end. 
But again, these reports diverge. So what I've, we've done is we've turned to the experts on this matter, the guarded historians of the time of Tupac and, uh, you know, are known for their investigative journalistic chops. You know, these people that are just, to use the phrase, journalism, journal, journalism, oh, I can't even say it, journalisming all over the place, okay? They're journalisming all over. And uh, they are, uh, first one I'm going to read from you is uh, our favorite uh, journalist. She was on the scene first and claims to know everybody and knows everything was involved in it every step of the way. And that is Kathy Scott, the author of The Killing of Tupac Shakur. And this actually came from her book. And I'm going to read it to you. Some reports in LVMPD... What's that? Is this revision uh, eight? No, this is revision three. (laughs) Yeah, this is revision three. Revision three came out in 2013. I think her original book came out in like 2001, 2002, somewhere around that time frame there. So yeah, exactly. You have to to know which revision is to see how how the information gets corrected. I'll give her credit for correcting the information because, you know, clearly you don't want to be stuck on record as being wrong all the time, you know, so you, you clear up what you can. So... This is from the third revision, and it says some reports and LVMPD sources said members of the entourage immediately returned fire. Now, again, this is following the shooting of Tupac. Although no other casings were found, police said revolvers may have been used, which leave no telltale shells behind. Sergeant Manning admitted, we did hear reports the gunfire was returned, but we were unable to validate it. There was no evidence. Suge Knight's camp, however, did confirm Roger Neckbone Williams and Trayvon Lane returned gunfire, a source inside Death Row said. They weren't security, explained Rightway Protection Services owner Reggie Wright. They were homies. Each was known to be associated with the mob Pyrus. In addition, it's now known that the Cadillac was shot up and it was taken to Earthquake Sound on Alondra Boulevard in Compton, California to have the bullet holes repaired before it was returned to the rental agency. Again, that's from Kathy Scott's book, The Killing of Tupac Shakur. Now, very interesting. Let's, let's stop and think about this. So this is one version of events. And in this particular version of events, um, apparently our shooters who were using a Glock suddenly decided to change guns to a revolver. You know, go, go get the revolver because the Glock doesn't work anymore, apparently. Um, and that they are going to... Um, Neckbone and Trayvon Lane returned gunfire. Now, if I remember correctly, you just said Trayvon Lane was the guy that got in front of Suge Knight, kind of blocked him in. And if I'm not mistaken, I don't think that Trayvon Lane was the first car either. I think he was the second car and they got in front of Suge Knight, but he could have been the first car. But this is the first time I've ever heard that Trayvon Lane returned gunfire uh, to right. see how that's kind of a new name to me because as you'll see in other iterations of things, the historians kind of have a little confused as to how this happened. Okay, but that was what Kathy right. Scott had to say. Can I can I interject? Yeah, I, I think I think I think what we're we're alluding to here is that according to folklore, it was it was Alton Buntry that shot from his from his Supra. His well, we're gonna get there. We'll. We'll get there in a minute, yeah, because I would say there are different versions of this, but, you know, uh, since Kathy Scott was the the reporter for the Las Vegas Sun and obviously the most credible and the most detailed, you know, 
Uh, I mean, wh why wouldn't you just absolutely take what she had to say at face value? Except for that whole revolver thing. That was kind of new to me. Um, so we, we understand that that's... So the salient points from Kathy Scott's thing is, okay, Neckbone and Trayvon Lane returned gunfire, and members of the entourage immediately returned fire. Okay? And it, of course, it's, the, it's always some reports and LVMPD sources. Like to know who those sources are. Okay? Well, that's her. Now, then we turn to what I would think arguably would be the, the person most people would expect to have it absolutely dead right, especially if they're going to put it in a book and put it in writing, and then tout themselves as the lead investigator in these cases. So obviously, as the lead investigator, you would know more about it, the investigation than, say, the not lead investigator, right? I mean, if I'm, if I'm the lead developer on a development project, uh, I would be expected to know more about the development than, say, the not lead developer or the junior developer uh, that would be developing a project. Would that make sense to you? I mean, you know, what, oh, yeah. when you think of a lead, what's your impression? All, 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 know all, know all. Right, yeah, that's it. Yeah, Mr. Know-it-all, right. Well... So and so there was a Mr. Know-it-all, uh, Mr. Greg Kading, who wrote in his book Murder Rap, a version of the events there. Now, I would presume that this is based on all of the crack investigation that he did and all the witnesses that he himself interviewed and didn't take it from any place else or word on the street that this was all backed on pure, nothing but pure evidence because Mr. Kading has come out and, and accused me and accused others of making allegations that have absolutely no basis in fact and and doing that and that is so wrong by him and he's you know made all these comments about that and how irresponsible it is i don't make allegations against people based on speculation and nuance okay well then that means that everything that must be in your book must have evidence and must have documents behind it and must have proof Right? I don't make allegations against people based on speculation. Because heaven knows, if you're going to tell everybody that other people are being irresponsible and have no proof, then of course everything you do has proof, right? I don't make allegations against people based on speculation and nuance. Correct. Yeah. So, <clears throat> according to Mr. Kading in his book Murder Rap, the untold story of Biggie Smalls and Tupac Shakur versus the told story. As the caravan turned down Flamingo Road and stopped at the light at Koval Lane, the caddy moved up at, until it was parallel with the 750. That means the BMW. I thought we was going to pull up on my side, Keefe D continued. Keefe D, of course, is the infamous guy who was Orlando Anderson's uncle who claimed to be in the car during the shooting. So you were fixing to blast if you had to, I said. If we would have been on my side, I would have blasted. Greg Kading asked Keefe D, so you handed the gun to the back seat? Keefe D says, yes. I gave it to Dre, but he was like, no, no, no. And Lane was like, give it here and pop the dude. Thirteen shots later, Brown accelerated into a hard right turn, followed by Ingrid Johnson and her girlfriends in the Sebring. Stupid bitches, Keefe D remarked, recalling that the women finally pulled to a stop. The caddy drove into a parking lot across from the carriage house, a hotel on East Harmon Avenue. 
Scrambling from the vehicle, Keefe D stated Orlando hid the Glock in the right front wheel well of the caddy. They then continued on foot back to the Monte Carlo Hotel where Keefe D was staying. Now that's the crack investigation of the lead detective for the Tupac Shakur and Biggie Smalls case. And I'm sure there's all kinds of documents to verify all of this. Kazi, would you... Would you think that if somebody's going to put that out there and that they're so sure that they want to, you know, poke at everybody else who has theories and conjectures that it's irresponsible if you don't have the evidence, uh, you would take this to the bank, right? Yeah, absolutely. To me, it's it's pretty much just a vague description is what it is. So it, it really, to me, it leads, it leads me to believe really nothing. But Well, I mean, it's not that vague. It believes everything. They don't question it. Well, it's not that vague, actually. I mean, you know, Keefe D says that... Uh, the the uh, there were thirteen shots that Brown, who I guess is the driver of the caddy, accelerated into a hard right turn, followed by Ingrid Johnson and her friends in the Sebring, and that the woman finally pulled to a stop. Okay, so it tells me that's pretty detailed. I mean, he's talking about other people well, in the cars and all that. Well, I mean, well, it's well, pretty well, big and in, big in, in, in the terms of great Kading's description about what happened. I mean, as far as Oh yeah, and not very being very detailed about it, you know. Right. It, it seems to me that KPD has more details than he does, but of course KPD doesn't even know it in his own book, so I can't. Well, that he remembers everything. Well, let's read from his book then. I think that's a great segue. Let's read from his book. KPD, who is Orlando Anderson's uncle, Keith Davis, of questionable re- reliability says, the first shot skinned Suge in his head. I thought the motherfucker was dead. I heard stories that Suge supposedly used Tupac as a shield when the bullet started flying, but that's some bullshit. Suge was already wounded. He was the first one that got touched. As the rounds continued flying, I ducked down so that I wouldn't get hit. When the shooting stopped, we boned out, and a white Chrysler Sebring full of young ladies was following us. Their window quickly got shot out, so they stopped. The interesting thing to me was that with all them rough-ass ends they were supposed to have with them, none of them did a damn thing and tried to come after us. So there were a lot of shots let off in both directions. So, I mean, and I know when you deal with Keefe D, you kind of have to have a translator to figure this stuff out. <laughs> but supposing for a minute we take it, it sounds to me like there were a lot of shots let off in both directions that the Sebring window got shot out and they stopped and the rounds continued flying. I think those are the three things we can pull out of Keefe D's book, right? That's what that, so now, so we have some conflicting stories now. And then you added the whole thing about Buntry allegedly being the guy in, in the shooter. But here's the thing. We got some news that I think flies in the face of a lot of this. And again, we're talking about, they said there were shooters, there was shooting, the shooting followed the Cadillac after it made a right on Koval from Flamingo. And um, is there anything I forgot in there in the overall explanation of things, Kazi? Did I catch it all? No, that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, that's, yeah. this, this, that's basically the story that we've, we've been fed all these years. But, right. Uh, Looks like you have a revelation today for us. Well, so what we have here, and this is a pretty big revelation, is from the pages of the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department homicide files, is an interview that was done 
with a woman, and we're not going to give her name because I don't want Tanique or anybody else running around trying to go grab our story and run with it and make something more out of it. This is ours to break because we have access to these files and this information, and we're going to put it out there and we're going to talk about it. But we're not going to give it out so that everybody else can go run around making the fool. This is an RJ and JM exclusive in the sense that this information has never been put out before. And it does fly in the face a little bit of these people who actually uh, claim to know what happened that night and, and their crack investigations. So, with that said, we're not going to give the name of the person out, but I can tell you that the person gave a statement and called in a year and a day after the shooting happened. So this was a person who voluntarily called in. This is a voluntary interview that was done with the detectives and Brent Becker, who was subordinate to lead detective Kevin Manning, took this interview and he did it at 2.15 on September 8th of 1997, a year and a day after the shooting occurred. And we're going to read some of this. I don't know that we'll read all of it because it's like six pages long, but we'll get to the good parts and, and uh, see what else, what else applies here. But at any rate, she calls in and, she, and he gives her name. Okay, Miss So-and-so, you contacted me on your own regarding the shooting and the ultimate death of Tupac Shakur today. Is that correct? She said, right. He said, and is there something that recently showed up in the press that may have kind of pushed you forward to come and talk to me? And she said, yes. And he said, what was that? And she said, the position of the cars in the paper are not in the position they were during the uh, incident. Now, let's stop right there and say that's a pretty powerful lead to get the attention of the detectives because everybody been saying certain things and this person's calling and she's not saying, uh, I don't think you're right. She's saying that this was, it was wrong. So clearly the person who's going to say that was a person that must have been there. So he says, okay, and what you've brought with you is a copy of the Las Vegas Sun, Sunday edition, September 7th, 1997, in which an article written by Kathy Scott, our friend, titled Tupac One Year Later, and it's got uh, kind of a little map showing the street and cars. Is that correct? To which the witness says, that's right. And she, he says, and you recall being on Flamingo that night? She says, yes. And you remember this because of what? Some media reports later on about what happened there? And she said, I was there when the shooting was there, and I was afraid to come forward because of the getaway car almost hitting me, so I didn't know if he recognized my car or what, and that's why I didn't come forward. And he says, okay, what kind of car were you driving that night? She says, I have a 1988 Ford Ranger pickup. What color was it? It was tan. Was there anybody else in the car with you? And she mentions that there were two other people in the car. We're going to scroll down for a minute, and then he says, so which lane were you in that night? And she says... I was turning right and I was the only car in the right-hand lane going south, going east on Flamingo and turning right on Koval Lane. I was the only one in the right-hand lane. Now, we're going to stop right there for a minute, Kazi, because, I mean, this is something I've never heard an accounting for. Have you? Never heard it. I thought they had just a, uh, you know, a clear a clear path to make it, make it a right without any other vehicle besides the 
Sebring that we've heard about. Right. But the Sebring was actually clear on the other side. And I don't think they even were able in a position to get past Shug until he did a U-turn and got out of there. I don't even think they could go because if they're on the if they were on the left-hand side of the car, which is, you know, one car width away from the shooter, and they were on that side, they would have to wait for everybody else to clear up before they could pursue anyway. So that kind of logistically doesn't even make sense. It doesn't track unless right. I'm wrong right. about that. But no, no, you're, no, you're correct. It's, it's just basically uh, I'm just detailing the, the vehicles that were actually right there at the crime scene. But yeah, and know, from what we've heard and learned, it's always been a clear path for right. the getaway car to. So to to be clear, though, we want to make sure that we get clarity, and so did the detectives. She's saying that she was in a car in the right-hand turn lane at Flamingo and Koval, which puts her in a car that we have never heard from, and that would be the car, arguably in front of the white car that was making a right on Koval when that car came up. But he says, so Brett Becker says, okay, and you're in the right-hand turn lane, which goes all the way up to the curb. Is that correct? And she says, right. And you are making a right turn to go south on Koval. She's right. And I was turning a right on a red light. So, so we know because although the rest of them were stopped at the red light, she was making a right-hand turn on the red light. So this puts this in perspective she knew that it was a red light so she knew all the other cars were stopped and he said did you see or hear anything unusual happen while you were at or near that intersection and he said and she says about four cars before i got into the intersection i heard about eight shots from one gun it was an automatic did you see the shooting or just hear it no i heard it one of the other persons in the car hit the floor and i'm trying to get out of the area because i'm going right and he says, did you see where the shots were directed to? And he, she says, all I seen was the BMW had something wrong with it, and it was angled towards the car that was turning left. Okay, so it's angling to the left also. And she says, yeah. Could you see who was in the BMW? No. Could you see anybody in it? No. She says, I didn't even try to see anything in the BMW. I was just assuming that maybe it was a car accident because I didn't know where the shots were going. So I just noticed something wrong with the, B the black BMW being as it was in front of it was kind of angled towards the car on the left, then it turned. And Brent Becker says, okay, using the diagram just for the sake of something to draw on, show me where your car would be at the time you heard the shots. And she says, oh, it was four cars back. And he said, back here from the corner. Yeah, from the stop sign. Where was the BMW at? I thought it was pretty close up front. Closer to the light? Yes. And where was the Cadillac? I'm not exactly sure if I know where the Cadillac was. I can only tell you that I thought the Cadillac, what, the, what I thought the Cadillac did and what lane I assumed he could have been in. And the way that I felt was the Cadillac was probably next to the BMW and on the red light, he shot out on Koval going right and passing about two feet from me causing me to go over to the right and stop to get him out of the way. And he was in that lane and to dodge me, jumped into the other lane and continued on down the road. At that time, I was seeing the Cadillac zoom out on the street. He looked to be going about 40 miles an hour. It would have been in the other lane when he punched the car. I'm sorry, if it would have, if it would have been in the other lane when he punched the car to go fast, he would, could not have made that sharp turn. He would have swerved in the other lane, not going straight towards me. So I felt the car came out of the lane next to the BMW, and by him almost hitting me, I had to stop. It was a white Cadillac. It was a large Cadillac. I thought it was like an Eldorado. 
I feel it was a two-door. I've seen the taillights. It was not a late model car. I think I seen the man in the back of his head looked like a black man with short hair, which Brent Becker said, how many people could you recall seeing in the car? And she says, I really don't know. Did you see a license plate? I see a California license plate, but I did not get the number. So when you say in this car, the Cadillac turned down Koval, did you have to hit the curb or climb the curb or you just got up against the curb? And she says, I just got up against it and stopped immediately because he was coming so fast. We were shaking when we got out of the car because we thought, sure, we were going to be hit. Now I'm going to break right there for a minute, Kazi. You heard all of that. So what are, what's our takeaways on this? Where was she? In, where was she? Where where was the Cadillac in regards to her? <laughs> it was behind her, about let's say two to three cars. Right behind her, leaned twice. And how so, close? At at one point, how close did that car get? Two feet away. Two, two feet, feet away. away. Okay, now. If a car's gonna come within two feet of you, I'd say you have a pretty good guess of knowing what's happening in your surroundings. And it says that she stopped immediately because he was coming so fast. She stopped, pulled over to the to the right side of the, of, of the road on Koval, headed south, and let this Cadillac go past her. Okay. Now she goes on to talk a little bit more about it, and. Uh, she says, uh, and then she says later that she may have heard a police car or an ambulance go by. But then he said, uh -huh. it was one or two minutes after the Cadillac had gone by and you heard approximately eight shots. Were they really quick? She says, yes, it was like an automatic. And he said, was there any space between the shots? No, it didn't. Just rapid succession. Yes, rapid succession. Was there ever a time when there was one lone shot fired? She said, not that I noticed. And that's all the information that she could give about the Cadillac. Now, let's look at what was said and look at what was said. You got a woman that was there driving a car, two other people in it. So we have two more potential witnesses there that witnessed what happened. She's driving the car. She calls up the police department because Kathy Scott puts out an article in the Las Vegas Sun with the position of the cars. And she says, nope wrong you got it wrong and it bugs me so i'm calling because you got it wrong and she then goes ahead and details how the car came around that made that right hand turn and damn near hit him to the point of scared him to death came within two feet of that car and then barreled down the road at flamingo doing 40 miles an hour now if you're two feet away from a car, I would suggest that you have a pretty good field of vision as to what's happening with that car, to the point where she claims that there were California license plates on that on that car and said that she thinks it was a two-door Eldorado and not a late model car, which is what's interesting that all the police and everybody has been always saying it's a late model Cadillac. She said, no, it's not a late model Cadillac. Uh, and she, she identified it that way. So we have a little bit of contention there. But the important thing to take away from this Again, like we talked about, we know what was said. But amazingly enough, we have a person who was literally on top of the Cadillac. I would, two feet would put me on top of something. I'm, I'm two feet away from my computer monitor. I would say I could read my computer monitor pretty well from two feet. So if a car comes from you and they're barreling down the road, what is it that she didn't say happened? She said she heard eight shots. Did you hear a single shot? No. So she talked about gunshots, but what did she say 
what did she say didn't happen? I know is that is that bad English, Kazi? What did she say didn't happen? Well, it, what it, look. Did it. She say, what what did she say didn't take place? Well, she didn't say she well, she didn't say. Well, she sure as hell didn't say that anybody was shooting at anybody. That's for sure. And I would think that. And I would think that if somebody she heard if she heard the first eight shots, then she would hear one more shot coming. Don't you believe? Or more, because according to Keith Davis, there was dozens of rounds flying. I mean, you know, Keith Davis headed like the fucking Alamo. Okay, everybody's shooting at everybody, unloading their clips. You know, it's like it's like that, that you know that scene in Heat when they robbed the bank. I mean, they're just unloading right. clips right and left. I mean, it's a shootout of the millennia. Damn. There go again, y'all. Falling. Have you ever felt like sometimes, no matter what you do, something keeps pulling you back down? Please, Lord, help me. I don't want to fall no more. Can you imagine being broke when you bored out having the best of things in the world? Pull the cars out the 22 speed. Like satellites in the sky, stopping, hustling for years, always trying to find a way out. I try to get a job, but it's hard with these felonies. I got too many bills to be working up in Mickey D's. Living check to check ain't the life that I wanna lead. No time for myself and no time for my family. What am I to do being black in America? Do I hit the block once again or just give it up? Asking God, please, if he would've lift my spirits up. Because besides him, don't nobody else give a I keep falling, falling like the rain. I got so many problems, Lord, help me with this pain. I keep falling. I keep falling, falling like the rain. I got so many problems, Lord, help me with this pain. I keep falling. Sometimes I feel like I wanna cry, and other times I get fatal like I wanna die. Help me now. How long will I keep struggling? More than 10 years and I'm still hustling They got my back against the wall and I'm feeling pressure Got 25 lighters on my dresser Yes sir, unexpected baby in this nagging me Didn't want another seed to grow up in this world that's so cold to me It's hard enough for one child yet I still love them Don't know what to do but I gotta do something Child support coming, dog I'm through Running behind in all my bills and everybody out there wanting something They wanna shed off this and shed off that Evict me out my house man with no get back with all due respect, you can get click clack. I guess I'll bow down and let God handle that. I keep falling, falling like the rain. I got so many problems, Lord, help me with this pain. I keep falling. I keep falling, falling like the rain. I got so many problems, Lord, help me with this pain. I keep falling. Shit seemed to get worse. Caught a case facing fair time. I'm still out here on these streets trying to get mine. A nigga gotta eat and ain't nobody trying to feed me. At the first sign of trouble, don't my baby mama leave me. Gotta stay strong cause if I don't, I'm going under, man. I wanna turn to in these times when I struggle, man. The trials and tribulations in this world being a black man. Make you wanna roll, blaze up and puff the Afghan. The stress factor's so high, I'm feeling this my last dance. I'm damned if I do because it might be my last chance to make it in this rap game. I'm hoping y'all can feel somebody help your boy from falling. Cause if I do, it Kill me. I keep falling, falling like the rain. I got so many problems, Lord, help me with this pain. I keep falling, I keep falling, falling like the rain. I got so many problems, Lord, help me with this pain. I keep falling.
I ride, thy staff, they comfort me. Thou prepares the table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hey guys, that was detrimental with Fallen. There's another one of those gems that people never really got a chance to hear that would have been on the Tupac assassination soundtrack had the deal gone south. And I feel bad all the time for the artists that really wanted to be on the soundtrack and poured their heart out for it, but uh, never got a chance to. And, and so whether or not their work got published, I want to give them a free shout out and play a little bit. And if you like it, go dig up what they're doing and get something from them for sure. All right. So anyway, we're talking about this woman who did this thing with the uh, uh, Vegas police. And, 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 and you got this woman who takes the time to call in and set the record straight with the Vegas police on what? On the location of the cars. It wasn't like she was trying to elude that anybody did the killing. So this is not like somebody who would just call in and say, oh, Oprah Winfrey did it. And for that reason, it needs to be taken very credibly. She called in on her own. She had no skin in the game and no reason to... Uh, do this and, and she was afraid obviously if there's gunshots fired and that car takes off I'm not sure that I would want to be the one given the identification of the car anyway uh, for that reason but this woman was two feet away from the Cadillac and at no time does she say to the detectives that there was cars chasing the Cadillac number one because she does talk about how there was some police cars and an ambulance that went by so she's clearly aware of what's happening after the car passes her however she does not say that anybody gave chase, and she certainly does not say anything about four women in a convertible car or windshields getting shot out. I think that was one of the one of the claims that was made. The Sebring's window got shot out, at, or the glass was flying. She doesn't say anything about gunshots being exchanged by some car pursuing the Cadillac because again she makes a statement that the Cadillac was hauling ass to get out of there in fact he had to go slow around the corner and if she hadn't gotten out of the way it probably would have hit her that he's barreling down the road if there was somebody else following that Cadillac to give chase they would have been going equally as fast and she you know can you imagine she says okay the Cadillac got away starts to pull in the other lane another car clips her off and hits her because you know they're following okay and and so right. You know, so here we have a statement from a person calling into Vegas PD. They thought enough about it to do an interview with this person. So this was actually a follow-up, a secondary interview. They talked with her on the phone, and then she was willing to give a statement to that effect. Okay, now, I can tell you that, even judging by the name of the person, that the, the person there had no skin in this game. They had no reason to do anything to call... I mean, what's that, what's that say about a person's credibility when they call in to correct you on something that was out, uh, something that was not true because they were there and they want to make sure the record's straight? What's that say about their credibility, Kazi? It just says that you're not, uh, you know, you're not doing your due diligence when you're writing an article or you're writing a book or whatever it may be. I mean, you have to get all the facts straight so that you don't, fool the public and you're accurate with your statements as far as, uh, you know, not leaving people down the wrong path. So, right. yeah, I mean, it, that says a lot. Yeah, well, lot and it also says a lot about the credibility. There. It says a lot about the credibility of the person actually making this, the, the, the statement here. Because they're like, look, the only reason I'm calling in is to make sure you guys get it right. 
It wasn't like she was had a, had an agenda to call in and make sure somebody got arrested. Like she didn't come in and call in and say, "Oh, Oprah Winfrey did it," or "Oh, or, you know, Orlando Anderson did it." Uh, you know, she, she didn't. She doesn't allude to that. The smoking man did it. You know, for all you X Files fans, the I I I think that it's important to know here that she had no reason to call other than she was concerned that the story was right and no agenda because she's not accusing anybody of doing anything. She just wanted to make clear that the details on what happened were correct because she damn near got ran over by the Cadillac as it was leaving. And we have never heard this before from anybody. No one has ever talked about that angle of it. And that's the problem. When nobody talks about anything, it's like, you know, it's like water and shade that produce mushrooms and fungus okay when there's no light being shed on something you get fungus growing and the fungus that grows is the disinformation that comes out and the lore because since nobody is talking on the record about it nobody's taking the time to put the real facts out you get all this nonsense and over the years people want to make themselves look better sound better or act like they know something that nobody else knew I think we can pretty much say that according to this eyewitness that was there, almost got ran over by the Cadillac, if there were gunshots that had been fired or gunshots that had been exchanged between two cars, the white Cadillac, and anybody else on Koval Boulevard, this woman had a front row seat to the event, okay? To the point where she saw a license plate and was two feet away, okay? I think it's safe to say that if there was gunshots being fired and exchanged back and forth, she probably would have mentioned that, don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, she's mentioned she mentions pretty much everything in that in that uh, interview there. But the, the I think the most compelling thing is that when the car, you know, flees the scene, that the you know there was this Supra, you know, and if you know anything about Toyota Supra, pretty fast car that she would recognize this pretty fast car and it's a pretty fleet car, you know, on another note, but you would have, to me, a chase is, you know, relatively close. It's not like, you know, this, this Cadillac is two blocks away and then this car decides they're going to give chase. So I guess my point being is that she would have seen this Supra speeding towards her as she saw the Cadillac speeding towards her. Well, she's also going to be looking for it because because she says they're scared to death. They almost got hit by this car. So you're going to be on ultra red alert. You're going to be looking to see, okay, if it's not that car, what else? Because something surprised you. You certainly don't want to be fooled a second time. So your sense of self-preservation and your, your awareness goes up through the roof. You know, that spidey sense. You know, you look around, suddenly your eyes are darting around, suddenly your breath is faster. You're prepared to pick up on details because that means your survival. That's a human survival instinct. Okay, your blood pressure goes up to make sure you have better blood flow. Your eyes start darting around. Your mind becomes clearer. That's what they call it, a panic. But what it really is, is it's your heightened sense of all of your senses and your heightened state. You're going to know if something else is happening that's unique or odd or as you begin to pull out, after you've been stopped, you begin to pull out. If another car races by to chase it and they're shooting at each other, I'm not so sure you'd be quick to want to pull out. I would think you basically like hit the deck because if there were other bullets flying, you wouldn't, you know, you're two feet away from the car that just passed you and bullets are flying. I don't think that that's something you would very easily forget. Right. That's it. And, that, and that right there is the number one danger. The bullets flying too, so 
as you mentioned, she's uh, she's on heightened alert because she doesn't know if there's going to be any more bullets coming flying her way. So she's going to be ready and, and just aware of everything that's going on. Her drone is pumping, you know, and, and I, like I said, you made a great point. I mean, the, the, the car coming, she, she's seen it. And the other car that's right behind it, she would have seen it as well. So the super wasn't going to be going 10 miles an hour on a chase. This car was going to be flying like a bat of hell. So, um, you know, we've been given the story that there was this chase. I mean, she didn't, she didn't mention anything about a car giving chase. So, no, and, and again, I think it's important because you got to look at the motive. I mean, why, you know, she called in because she said the configurations of the cars in Kathy Scott's article were wrong. She called Vegas PD to set the record straight. If there was anything else to set straight, she probably would have done that too because what other motivation would this person have for wasting their time talking to Vegas police and, and talking to the detectives about this? I mean, I, I see this as about as plausible as it gets. She saw an article come out, Tupac, one year later. She saw the article in the sun. She looked at it. She says they got it wrong. Maybe she was scared before, but a year later, she's not feeling quite so scared about it. Maybe she's heard that, you know, the, the investigation wasn't moving along as far as, you know, a suspect or whatever. Uh, but she definitely has no reason. And this is the important thing about a witness that comes forward. If they have no skin in the game, they have no reason to even call other than to try to set the record straight. And again, the thing about this is that it would be a different kind of an interview, and I would be treating this a lot differently, Kazi, if if the person called in and wanted to set the record straight that it was really Orlando Anderson that did it and not somebody else, okay? Or if they wanted to set the record straight that, uh, you know, some other material thing that leads to a conclusion or gives some reason to deflect or to change the narrative in terms of what happened. She's not. She's talking about the way the cars were positioned, and it might add some more information to the detectives. But there's no conclusion being based in this. She's not calling in to say, you know, I've been thinking about it for a year, and I think it's Orlando Anderson. Or I, I, I saw a guy step up, and he said, hi, I'm Orlando Anderson. I'm here to shoot you. And then he shot them. Okay, that would be something that would be a completely different type of reason to call in. And then, of course, the motive for the person that called in could be questioned. Uh, the accuracy could be questioned. But I do believe that Vegas, because she does name the place that she went right after the event. It's only a year later. There's no reason that she would have to lie about the configuration of the cars and her almost getting hit by the Cadillac. Okay, and notice, of course... None of this was information to Kathy Scott. I mean, clearly the lady didn't call Kathy Scott, or maybe she tried to at some point to call Kathy Scott to try to straighten it out with her. But the first thing she tried to do was the day after it came out, she called the Vegas police and they had her on a taped interview like that day where she said, you know, I saw this thing and I saw this newspaper and this is not correct. These cars are not in the correct position uh, for it. Uh, I don't recall Kathy Scott ever mentioning at any time that anybody ever tried to call her facts into question and said they're wrong. And then she turned around and said, oh, yeah, you're right. I'm wrong. You were there. I wasn't. So let's let's make sure we retract that and let's make sure we issue a correction in the paper. Uh, I didn't see that happening. Do, do, do you generally, do, would, you, would you agree that generally majority of witnesses that are reluctant to come and give a statement are generally the most reliable 
witnesses. Well, again, you know, yeah, I could say yeah, I, I, but I would, I would say that's kind of a 50-50 thing. I mean, you know, a, 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 because a, a witness can certainly claim that they're reluctant. They can actually claim and say, well, you know, I was reluctant to come. That's why I didn't say anything. But Orlando Anderson did it. Okay. You know, <laughs> you, you, know you could say you're reluctant and maybe you are reluctant. But again, it depends on the kind of testimony that's being brought around. And this is pretty evidentiary when they talk about, okay, uh, this. And, and again, it may not seem like a major thing. Okay, yeah, we're trying to get the order with the cars were. Okay, who gives a crap? Okay, who really cares? Well, this woman did because she called in. She was definitely she was definitely concerned about it. But the but but and that may not have really had a here nor there type of va- value to the Las Vegas Police Department. Okay, yeah, the the Cadillac took off and did that. Vegas Police isn't trying to prove or disprove the whole that the shooting happened afterwards, or that there were shots fired subsequent to the white Cadillac or the white car getting away. They're, you know, that's really not what they're at. They're after somebody who, who killed somebody. They're after a murderer, okay? They're not after worrying about whether or not there were shots exchanged. Yes, maybe that would be critical to the story if it was a gang thing or if it was that. But again, and she's not saying that there were shots fired. That's why I think it's important to us because we understand as much about what wasn't said as what was said. And of course, our job here, Kazi, and I think you would agree, is that we are to get to the evidence that tells the truth, not the gang lore, not the stories, not what you've heard from your friends, not what you've heard in the movies, not what you've heard from somebody that wasn't there because Reggie Wright wasn't there. Kathy Scott wasn't there. Greg Kading wasn't there. Mob James wasn't there. Although Mob James himself actually said that there were no shots fired. Let's let's listen to Mob James uh, telling the truth here. Pause, pause, pause. Okay, now, so Mob James says that there wasn't any shots fired, but he wasn't there either. So you got a whole bunch of people that weren't there Okay, Frank Alexander doesn't say anything about anybody giving chase, um, you know, or, or shooting or anything like that. And even if he did, he wasn't there. He went the other way. He and Shook took a U-turn and they went the other way down uh, Flamingo. So they weren't there. So what you got is a whole lot of people that weren't there talking about what happened. Wow. But then we got a person who was there saying nothing. Saying, yeah, the car raced past me. It was a singular event. I thought they were going to hit me. If there had been gunshots, if there had been anything else to note, that person would have said something about it. And, of course, that person claims to have been there. Okay? And, again, I think it's interesting because, you know, yeah, she looked at the at the diagram and stuff like that. But to put herself in that particular position to where she knew where she was, I keep saying when traumatic events happen to people, you don't forget it. You don't forget what happened. I mean, Frank Alexander, you know, years later, 15 years later, remembered almost down to the minute what happened that night. Michael Moore remembered what happened that night. There are people that you don't remember more over the years if you start off foggy to begin with, okay? Your memory doesn't get better. It gets worse. Yet, when you have a traumatic incident, anybody will tell you, that you remember almost down to the minute what happened. And this woman clearly had a traumatic incident. She was in a car. She darn near got ran over by the Cadillac. 
which would make her almost an insignificant player in terms of she's not really a part of the shooting. She didn't witness the shooting. She doesn't have witness value in the sense of the shooting. But the one thing we can take away from it, and this is why I'm so excited about seeing all these other files, is that we can, I think for the record, I think we can debunk, and I hate using that word because it's such a liberal word to use and it's been used so many times in the wrong way. But I think that we can debunk the entire story that there was a chase that was given and gunshots were fired. And, and by the way, I mean, we've t have we talked about the magic bullet before? In the, in the shots? All right. Okay. So one last thought about this, okay? So somebody sees that there is a gunshot in the back of Buntry's car. That was one of the stories that was out there, that there was a single gunshot or a gunshot in the back of Buntry's car, okay? Now, I can't profess to you that I'm a physics major or, or a cartologist where I build maps or a a scientist that I could actually go out there and do the forensic science review of the statement itself. But there seems to be something in the back of my mind that bothers me on just a purely physical level. And that is that the Cadillac was allegedly in front of whatever car was giving it pursuit. Hence the word pursue because the Supra or whatever the car was, was pursuing the Cadillac. Now, Unless a bullet has tried to figure out the laws of physics, and I still haven't, the military, I don't think, has still come up with this one yet. They're getting close. But unless you can bend the laws of physics to create a bullet that makes a magic U-turn, I don't know how a gunshot from a Cadillac in front of another car would create a hole in the back of the car pursuing it. Okay. I don't think that they I don't think that they were the world's best backwards driver and the Supra was driving backwards to pursue the Cadillac. Because then yeah, if that was the case and they were backing up while the Cadillac was going forward, a shot from the Cadillac going backward might actually pierce the back of the Supra or whatever other car they claim was there. And I've always thought that's actually my reason for dismissing the whole thing, because it's fucking stupid to begin with, okay? Unless the laws of physics have changed I mean, they talk about JFK's magic bullet. Well, I guess maybe they went to JFK's armor or something. I don't know. They went to the guy that designed the bullet that killed JFK because suddenly there's this magic bullet that does a U-turn and then turns around and hits the back of uh, um, uh, of, a, of uh, the, the car that's pursuing. Yeah, the car that's pursuing the white car. I mean, the, I watched one of the dumbest fucking movies I'd seen in a long time. It was a movie, I forget, it was an Angelina Jolie movie where they actually tried to convince you that you could actually, by turning your gun, that you could curve a bullet shot. Okay? That you could actually curve the trajectory of a bullet by, like putting a spin on a tennis ball when you serve it, I guess. That you can tilt your gun and spin your gun a certain way that puts a curve on the bullet and that the bullet could actually fly in an arc. Well, maybe these guys got that science down right because this motherfucker didn't just do a, a curve. It did a full U-turn and came back after the car pursuing the Cadillac. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. <laughs> because if anybody had been shooting at the car that was allegedly pursuing the Cadillac, this person in the car whose statement they gave to Vegas PD that's part of the police record clearly would have seen or heard that. Clearly would have been more afraid for themselves to say, Holy crap, you know, not only this guy tried to run me over, and then there was another car behind him that tried to run me over, but there's bullets flying around. This is a bad place to be. 
Okay. Right. And yet none of that was should've said. Should have been a close vicinity. Should have been close vicinity to the bullets coming, you know, towards her. And yeah. The super being in the same lane, you know. Yeah, and heaven knows if you've got U-turn bullets flying, you never know where they're going to hit, right? Those are important. The magic U-turn, the magic U-turn bullets, you know. Like I said, I'm no physics professor. I'm no physics major. I'm not even really good at physics. I can barely do math now. But I'm at least pragmatic enough to understand that in 1996, I don't think they had projectiles that could make U-turns um, and do that. So somebody's going to have to give a much better explanation as to how the bullets got where they were. Now it'd be different if it was in the if it was in the hood of the Supra or in the one of the front tail light our headlights was shot out. Okay, get that. But if you're gonna make up a fucking story, at least check the physics out to make sure it's a plausible one, will you? Good lord. Right. So I think so what's your what's your verdict on the pursuit and the gunshots fired at the white car? Truth or BS? I'm gonna say BS. BS um according you know, put my own my own opinion, and according to the witness statement that you had just read off. Yeah, I think so too. I think we can safely call this one BS. And of course, the good thing about the live streams is that you all will have a chance to ask your own questions. Let's talk about it. Let's ask questions. Let's probe. Let's look at it. Let's examine it. Let's find out what's important and what's not in terms of the facts that we're looking at here. But for now, I think that we've pretty well covered this bombshell and we're going to keep bringing you bombshell information as we get it that will continue to shed light on all of these stories rumors you know innuendos anything else regarding the tupac case so that we can actually for once start to get to the truth of what really happened any final thoughts kazi all i'm going to say is that i'm very excited to continue to delve deeper into these art these these documents i mean we've only we've only gone through three so far and the excitement level should be very high considering everything that has been presented thus far with the footage from the mgm to the grand jury and then now to a witness that has never been known to the public and of course to the tupac community i mean these these things are to me the new breakthroughs that are happening and not just the old stories that we hear again and again and again. So I would advise everybody to stay tuned to the Tuesday podcast on Spotify, RJ Bond, what I know, also on iTunes. And then of course, see the documents in person, live on Thursdays, 11 p.m. Central Standard Time, 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And RJ, I mean, I, I got to give it to you, man. You've been doing this for a long time already. And I think a lot of people appreciate your efforts. I certainly do. And then there's a lot to discount you because they have their own personal acts to grind. But if you're showing the documents, I mean, what, what more do we need? What more do they need? They need, I mean, do they need God to come down and, and present it to them on a silver platter? Or they're just going to take what it's worth? I think and, they're great. Uh, I look forward. 
Yeah, I think they're great. I mean, you know, that's that's the thing. And, and I, I started to put some stuff in the videos now. And, and it says, question everything. Question right. everything. You as a Tupac fan, if you are remotely investigated, it, or invested, if you're remotely invested in this investigation, it's your job to question everything. Don't buy the same old, same old. Don't buy something from a reporter that was never there. I wasn't there. So I can't say one thing or another about this woman that, you know, where, what her motive was, why she called in. I mean, I can speculate, but I wasn't there. And that's what I keep saying to everybody. Question everything. Don't believe some guy because he says he was a cop on the case. Don't believe some guy who says that he was a first responder and he was there and that Tupac said F you without correlating, without some other piece of information to corroborate it. Question freaking everything. Look for a document. Look for a second witness. Look for some other way to find out that you can get to the truth some other way than just what you hear on the street. Because I'm here to tell you 75% of what they call word on the street is bullshit that's been made up with an agenda. And even if it's true, there's going to be some spin on it because that's how humans operate. And it will give you a motive to have put the word out on the street for one way or another. I mean, you know, Kazi, we talk about the old code of silence, right? You know, well, if, if you're going to be silent about something, shut the fuck up. Be silent. Okay. Don't talk. But word on the street well that means that some motherfuckers talking and in a word where the code of silence is supposed to be a big thing the only people that would be talking would be talking for a reason because why would you take the chance of violating that code of silence you know why would you do that okay so that's a reason all by itself not to believe all the bullshit you hear on the street because the people who really know something probably aren't talking okay and that goes for vegas pd as well as the people on the street the people that know the most, as we're clearly finding out, they're not talking. Okay? Right. They're not talking. If you know something, they're not talking. And we proved last week why, and they said themselves why they're not talking. Okay? It's because all these idiots that leak the information out, put information out ahead of time. Well, that's not happening here. So you're going to get it straight. Right. You're going to get it from the source. If we've got documents, we're going to show it to you. But on behalf of J.M. Kazi, this is R.J. Bond, and that's what I know. <laughs> R.J. Bond, what I know. Copyright Martin Productions 2020. All rights reserved. No part of this may be reproduced without express written permission of Martin Productions. Special thanks to J.M. Kazi. He's out. Who walk with a shovel, a Saint Valentine, who talk with the devil, a wicked Nirvana tree grew from his grave, kill Illuminati that made black slaves. I traveled.